there can be little doubt that, of all the instruments in the orchestra, the harp is the most beautiful and ethereal sounding of them all. Its religious connections with the angelic host are widely known, but not discussed as often are its appearances in folklore. Today, we redress the balance with my guest, professional harpist and composer Elizabeth Jane Baldry. Elizabeth Jane studied music at Exeter University and normally presents around 50 performances a year, from recitals in historic houses or specialist cruises to ceremonies such as weddings and funerals. She is the only silent movie harpist in the world, performing live accompaniment to cinema screenings of early films such as Nosferatu and Peter Pan. Elizabeth Jane's compositions have been used by film, radio and television broadcasters the world over. The unique research which Elizabeth Jane has undertaken into Victorian fairy harp music has led to a CD with worldwide distribution, a West End stage show with actor Simon Callow, for which she also wrote the songs, and appearances at the Royal Academy of Art exhibition of Victorian fairy paintings, and Prince Charles's unveiling of the restored Elfin Oak Tree in Kensington Gardens, amongst others. The piece you're currently listening to is A Fairy Legend, performed by Elizabeth Jane. I'm Mark Norman, folklore researcher and author. Welcome to a special open-air episode of the Folklore Podcast. Elizabeth Jane Baldry lives in the beautiful village of Chagford, in the heart of Dartmoor. She describes herself as the lucky custodian of a magical ten-acre woodland, where she can brew tea in a twig kettle, keep bees, and listen to birdsong. She invited us to join her there, in the socially distanced open air, to record this interview, which I will intersperse with more of her beautiful music. So we're sitting here in what is essentially a fairy woodland, let's be honest, uh, in a little glade in the middle of nowhere at Dartmoor. Tracy is sitting next to me and sitting opposite me is our guest on today's episode of the podcast, Elizabeth Jane Baldry, whose woods we are sitting in. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me here. It's an absolute pleasure. We've been trying to get you on here for about two years now, I think, but you're never in the country because you are playing your harp all over the place, doing exciting things. Obviously, at the moment, you can't do that. Uh, But you can play in the open air where we're sitting, and hopefully later on you will. Um, So before we start, I just wanted to ask you a couple of general things. One is uh, how you became interested in folklore, if there was anything, in fact, that did spur your interest on or or whether it's just one of those things that's always been with you 
that's a very good question because I actually loved folklore from as long as I can remember and I know that I loved it because when I was at school I won a school prize for being a good girl it's long ago <laughs> long, long ago days and for being a good girl and I got that fabulous Reader's Digest book of British folklore mm. and I just just cherished that book I read it through over and over again. I absolutely loved it. And I started buying books on folklore and I've collected just loads now. It's a bit of um, an addiction. It is, it is. And I think if, there's, if there was any book that really ought to remain in print for all time uh, to get people interested in the subject, it probably is that Reader's Digest uh, yes. folklore yes. in British Isles because it is it is a classic and you see it all the time on social media in groups where people are bragging because they found one for a quid in the charity shop <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely so I know I know and it really is a wonderful book um, you're also responsible for a very popular Twitter account about folklore which is Old Weird Britain mm -hmm. which tweets gems of British folklore at four o'clock every afternoon how did that come about that just came about one Christmas holidays. I was reading all these folklore books and I was thinking, I have got so many of these and there's so many gems in them. And I wanted a little discipline that would encourage me to develop my knowledge of folklore. So I decided that tweeting something every day at 4pm would be a really fun thing to do and it has been really fun I've been amazed how lovely it is sometimes I'll spend ages and ages just taking some quite complex idea and trying to condense it into the tiny amount of letters for Twitter and then <laughs> give up because it can't be done yes. oh sad that one can't be spread out but some of the ones I mean it's information that has never been online before some of it is completely mm. unique so that's really exciting and it, and it really has garnered quite a following I think hasn't it now over time yes so. I think it has I, I don't like numbers and counting followers because every single one of them is a real lovely human being person so um, I don't tend to but it's yeah it's getting on for um i think 18.3 thousand followers last time i checked yes yes uh, and like you say numbers are not important and, and that's absolutely the right approach to take but, mm. but hopefully people who don't follow and listen to this will go and have a look because it really is it is worthwhile Thank you. but we're not here to talk about that really we are here to talk about what you do in your professional life and how that crosses over with folklore uh, and that is harp playing, because you are a professional harpist, are you not? I am indeed, yes. How long have you been playing the harp? I've been earning my living from playing the harp for at least 25 years. Mm. So it's been amazing. Uh, and some of the projects you undertake are just fantastic as well. I think um, the composing and accompanying silent movies around the world in, in all these beautiful venues is is just staggering because you've written and performed for Nosferatu amongst others haven't you? I have yes I've done lots and lots of amazing films that I've been privileged enough to write harp music for and it's so exciting because the, the film begins and once you start playing 
the music just seems to appear in your head. I, I do prepare the scores. So, for example, in Peter Pan, which is one of my favourites, I have a theme for Peter. I have a theme for the sense of loss. I have a theme for the love of a mother and all these kinds of things. And you realise how important music is for telling the story mm. and a different musician would take the same film and make it an entirely different thing it depends on what you what you do so I did one about a serial killer actually on the hop <laughs> and it was so interesting because in this festival another musician did the same film and they just had the same film screen with two different musicians and I really was interested in the actual psychology and the agony and the pain of the serial killer. So how do you portray a character like that, a serial killer, uh, a villainous character, mm. if you want to look at it in terms of folktale, I guess, uh, in music on an instrument that is considered to be kind of the antithesis of that, in a way? It's interesting that the harp is far more versatile than people think. You can do quite mechanised, crazy sounds on it. It's got seven pedals round the bass, and so you can get quite percussive effects. So it's, uh, yeah, it's surprising what you can do. And it would depend on the serial killer as to how I composed <laughs> <laughs> the music for it. <laughs> so what do we know about the harp as an instrument the history and development of it and how it appears through actual history as opposed to folk history, for example? In actual history, the harp is very, very ancient. So mythologically, some people say it was first invented by the god Apollo when he heard his sister Diana twang her hunting bow, <laughs> bing! <laughs> make a sound. He thought, oh, that's nice. I'll make, a, I'll make an instrument out of that. So that's one possibility. And um, there was this uh, guy called Tubal who was only seventh in descent from Adam. And he was supposed to be one of the very first harpists. But what we do know factually is that the harp was um, around in ancient Egypt about 5,000 years ago. There were harps over six foot high painted on the tombs and they were used for ceremonial purposes they were like a letter c so because of that if you imagine if you tie strings onto a letter c you can't have the strings too tight because the frame would collapse mm -hmm. so they must have been quite low strung 10 or 11 strings or so there's a bit in the bible where it says, I will sing to the Lord upon a ten-stringed harp, as if that is the absolute bee's knees of, mm. of harp magnificence. <laughs> and, uh, so and in contrast to that, your concert harp My has... concert harp is 47 strings, but each of those strings can play three different pitches because you work the length of the string with your feet right. using the pedals underneath. So development goes then from... Egypt, as I, I guess so many things do in ancient uh, history, uh. and does the instrument then spread out from there? Yes, it does. So there were harps in Mesopotamia, and in those days the harpist was actually, the royal harpist would be buried with the monarch when he died. He'd be buried alive, and not just one, but maybe four harpists, one at each corner 
of the tomb where the corpse was laid out in state and then they'd be sealed up in there with their little bit of food and their meagre little oil lamps <laughs> until it all got dark and dead. So that was miserable. And then the lesser harpists who weren't quite so talented were uh, sealed up in a neighbouring room. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> so it's pretty wild. And there's a wonderful... Um, painting, uh, it's a relief sculpture actually, of uh, where King Alan, I think it's a king, um, from uh, the um, one of these antiquity states, and he's sitting there having a nice picnic with a harpist playing and a severed head just hanging on a tree nearby. <laughs> severed head of one of his enemies. <laughs> <laughs> so that's quite funny. Uh, well, it's not funny, but uh, certainly wasn't for the severed head. <laughs> but uh, but um, yeah, so you, so there are depictions of the harp going right back, and then the earliest depictions in Europe are on eighth or ninth century Pictish stones in Scotland, and these are four cornered like square shaped harps so the triangular harp which we see today um that came along a little later i was going to ask how the development then became what we now know mm. is mm. that a, a much more recent variation of the harp or do we even know yeah. that we'll we know that there were harps in the british isles when the romans first came because they talk about them tacitus talks about the harps and the druids of course mm. And all of that is well recorded in the Latin scripts of the Romans. So, um, but how long they were there before, who knows? Mm. There were harps in, um, chieftains were buried with harps in their graves. And I spoke to a guy, I did this wonderful summer school at Cambridge, and I spoke to a guy whose job was digging up musicians' graves. Like, how cool is that? Mm, and that, that's quite a job. That's quite a job, yes. <laughs> and so I had always heard this about chieftains being buried with the harp in their grave. Because the harp, with the tension in the strings, represented to our ancestors the tension between man and the supernatural. So some of these very early harps had a two-headed fish carved on them. Mm. So the head at the base would receive the music and the head at the top would send it up to God. And then the chieftains were, were buried with a harp at their feet so that they could use that as a bridge mm. to the afterlife. And yet, this, um, so this was definitely true according to the archeologist, but he also told me that the musicians themselves were buried with a harp in their arms. I thought that was so lovely. Mm. So that was really yeah. nice. So yes, it was all around in history, and um, we don't know how far back. But mm. the at some point, someone must have realised that a C-shaped harp could would bend and collapse, and you could make a much stronger mm. frame, and then you could have more strings. Mm. And I suppose when we think of the harp in terms of religion particularly christian religion or, or biblically okay. then there is this association with heaven isn't there and, and the heavenly host and, and angels playing on harps um is that purely because of this reputation if you like of the harp as, as being such an important instrument or because of the nature of the sound that it produces i think it's actually the nature of the sound itself there is something quite extraordinary 
about the sound of the harp mm. and some people who are maybe more woo-woo than I am say that it thins the veil between the worlds, the other world and our temporal world with the timeless other world. And there certainly is something there I found from experience that some people when they hear it for the first time just cry. I've mm. had people just sobbing and then really apologising because they're British. I'm terribly sorry. <laughs> terribly sorry. <laughs> I did one concert and there was this really distinguished gentleman and he came up at the end and he said, halfway through your performance, it felt something on my cheek. He didn't know what it was. When I brushed it away, it was a tear. I cannot remember the last day that I shed a tear. I thought, oh, you poor dear darling person. Like he's probably was so, even when he's a little boy at boarding school and his teddies were taken away, he probably hasn't cried since then. So, yeah, there is something about mm. the sound itself that is mm. magical. Mm. It was always used for the most, um, the, the upper echelons of society. Yes. So yeah. not... Um, your average peasant instrument. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was for the, the, the aristocracy. So in Scandinavia, for example, it was a crime punishable by death for those who uh, tried to play harp if they were just commoners. Mm. So it was only for royalty.
The piece you've just listened to was Ondina, Water Spirit. We now rejoin the interview. So it's easy to see, isn't it, from from listening to the kind of sound that you get from even a small harp. Yes. For, for those that uh, are not watching the Patreon video version of this, you have a very small harp with you. It's easy to see why that association with, with the angels or, or with royalty comes about just yes. from the quality of the music, doesn't it? But then moving on to to folklore and the associations there, I guess... Well, Tracy, if if somebody was to say to you, what would you associate harp music with in folklore? What would be your first response? The fairies. Yeah, yeah, and I guess that is that is isn't it the the place where we find most harp folklore? So how does how does the harp fit in with the with the fairy realm and that aspect of folklore? Oh, that's a lovely question. Being a great fan of the fairies, <laughs> so. There are interesting tales. This is a wonderful one that I really adore. And this is an old folk tale that's called the How the Music Came to the Western Isles. It's an old Scottish tale. And it's about this poor woman and her adolescent son. And they, she's a widow and she loves him. He is all that she has in her life after the death of her fisherman husband. And one day he finds a harp just washed up on the beach who knows where it comes from it's floating in the water and as he lifts it out it catches the wind and there's this amazing sound of the wind coming through the harp strings and he tries to reproduce that sound and he just can't do it and that pain of not being able to recreate that sound because it's now caught him in its magic is making him just fade away and become ill. So his mother goes to this really slimy old geezer who lives in a cave round the next <laughs> cove. <laughs> and he's a bit of a necromancer and general bad guy. And she says, will you please do something to help my son with his music? And he says, and I wrote this down because it's so wonderful, he says... Give me your soul and I will put the skill of music into your boy. Or give me your body and I will quench his longing for it. So she's faced with this terrible choice of either shagging this whole geezer <laughs> or giving up her soul. So it's a bit of a Faustian bargain. <laughs> and, and she says, my soul is to you here and now and the skill of music for my boy. So she gives this necromancer her soul and when she gets back her son is fully healed and he's just effused with joy playing this harp, really, really wonderful. But when he finds out what his mother has done, the harp just sobs with the agony of her lost soul and that's why to this day the harp can never sound truly joyful. It always carries this sense of sadness and heartache and yearning in it. Yes, that's interesting, isn't it? I suppose there is a kind of lament to the yes, sound so. of the is. harp in many ways, even yes. if you're playing a, what is a jollier piece. Yeah, I mean, it is. You, it is just very haunting. Mm. 
But there are some funny stories. So in the 10th century, there's a wonderful story about King Huachid, who was most unfortunately born with donkey's ears. I'm sure that there's a hashtag for that <laughs> as a disability status. Uh, yes, yeah, so he is um, has has um, certain needs with his ears, and he's very embarrassed about his ears. And so, whenever anyone comes to cut his hair, he always murders the hairdresser afterwards, so that they don't reveal the secret of his <laughs> donkey's ears. And then one day, some cool dude hairdresser comes along who cuts his hair so beautifully that the king can't bear to kill him. So he says, "All right, you can stay alive, but you have really got to keep this secret, or you're a goner." And so. This hairdresser keeps the secret, but he just cannot keep it. Eventually, he has to go and whisper it to a tree. <laughs> and it just so happens that a travelling harpist comes along and sits under this tree, and his harp picks up the tail of the donkey with the horse's ears. Does not end well. <laughs> but there are stories of harpers with supernatural coming out with these supernatural mm. elements. There, there's a story of two sisters, and a knight comes to woo the younger sister, the most beautiful one, but the elder sister fancies the knight, and so she takes her sister to the river and drowns her. And the body of her younger sister floats down the river and is washed up on a beach and rots away. And then a travelling musician comes and finds the remains and he makes a harp out of her bones. Mm -hmm. And these little tiny pegs here at the top of the harp, they are made out of her finger bones and it's strung with what remains of her golden hair. Oh, wow. And he's just travelling on and he arrives at the house where the knight just happens to be the very wedding feast where the knight is marrying the elder sister but of course as soon as he puts the harp down then it starts singing the story of the murder so yeah there's lots of fabulous tales like that with the harp if we think about uh, fairies and folklore with this mm -hmm. association, there's also, I suppose, fairy music in mm -hmm. itself mm -hmm. is, is connected in many ways to the harp as well, isn't it? Are there other particular examples where that is the case? There are tunes that are said to have come from the fairies, were heard by travellers and uh, who came across fairies but it's very bad news if you are unfortunate enough to hear the fairy harp music wafting on the wind or anything like that then you will never be happy again you will just sit and ail and yearn until you die so it's not really good news so again there's this kind of lamenting yes. aspect yes, to it isn't wonderful. there which is which is interesting when you mm. consider those other historical associations with with uh royalty and with joyous occasions mm. and you know the harp being an instrument that you get at weddings for example yes you know, yes is it is an instrument of celebration yes and yet also used for ceremonial purposes and mm. an old symbol of death because of this bridge between the man and supernatural mm. element so outside of fairy lore, where else do we see the harp cropping up in folklore? 
There are traditionally three noble strains of harp music and these came about so the Dagda who was an early Welsh, um, Welsh an early Irish god of sorts of the Tuatha Danan who were the Irish mm. fairy people as you know and he, when his sons, he had three sons, were born and during the labour his harpist was playing to the labouring mother and with the cries of agony of the first child she produced a strain of music which is called the goltri or the crying music so if you hear the goltri strain then you will cry and there's one folk tale in which 12 men die at once because of the weeping and the sorrow of the goltri strain of music so we won't we won't do that no no, no. <laughs> let's let's, that let's leave that yeah, one leave that one for now. <laughs> and then but with the second child it was a much easier birth and uh, labor and out comes this little boy and he's called gentry the laughing music so that is a happy strain of harp music and then finally is the suan try which is the um, music that induces deep sleep and calm and you get these three different strains coming into different folklore stories mm. so there is a lovely tale of Cuchulain who was one of the great early Irish heroes in early romance and he was fishing for salmon of course salmon being such an important folklore folkloric fish he was fishing in the river Boyne and along comes this little tiny boat of bronze giveaway the boat is bronze it's floating <laughs> down the river and in it is this tiny man dressed in purple with his little harp and Cookie Lane hasn't really seen a harp before so he's fascinated and the fairy harpist in his little purple togs and his little bronze ship plays to him so that's fun and there's another wonderful bit in folklore and this comes at the the death of Cuchulain where Mananan who is an Irish sea god he also played the harp and I've actually written this down because it's so beautiful so he is dying after um, a big battle and Emma who is his sweetheart and his beloved um, she's with him and he thinks he can see the sea but he can't because he's just in the field it's only the waving grass and um, he wants to die and she's trying to say please you're my sweetheart don't die don't die and this is where it, the, the quote but Cochulain said Emma restrain me not I see the horses of Mananan riding on the waves I hear Mananan's fairy harp play gently over the billows. Mananan's ancient face I see beckoning me over the main. Then Emma knew that the hour of Cuchulain's fate was come, and that naught of all that ever they could do would avail to turn him back. For the seer had prophesied that when Cuchulain should see the horses of the ancient ocean god upon the waves, and when he should hear Mananan's harp, play sweetly the hour of his fate was come and he must even then go back to Shadowland. <laughs> lovely isn't it? I just love it like that. Back to Shadowland.
So folk tales, fairy tales, are, are this other aspect where we see the harp. I mean, traditionally, I suppose if, if you looked at fairy tales and went, name a fairy tale with a harp in it, then people would go with Jack and the Beanstalk, mm-hmm. um, that kind of fairy tale pantomime crossover, if you like. Um, that's a prime example, mm-hmm. but other examples from that aspect? I actually love that story of Jack and the Beanstalk mm. when I was a little girl just because it had the talking harp in it. <laughs> when he steals the harp and it goes, Master, Master! <laughs> oh my God, I found it so exciting. I wanted to play the harp so much because I just love the story of Jack and the Beanstalk and many other things as well. <laughs> but there, there's a wonderful uh, Middle English Breton lay from the 13th or 14th century called Sir Orfeo. And in that, it's a takeoff. I mean, a kind of um, related to the Greek myth of Orpheus and Eurydice. And in this tale, Sir Orfeo goes to Fairyland, where his beloved has been stolen by the king of the fairies, and he takes his harp and plays so beautifully that the king of the fairies lets him take her back with him. So mm-hmm. it ends happily ever after, mm-hmm. unlike the tragedy of the Orpheus myth, which, as you know, Orpheus goes down and he said, yeah, you can have her because your music's so fab, but if you look at her and turn back to check she's still following her, you, you'll lose her forever. And he mm-hmm. does, just as they're about to mm-hmm. reach freedom, he turns back and sees her. Oh, that's so sad. So, yeah, that's, that's a story. And... Um, the two sisters, of course, I've already talked about, and Thomas the Rhymer. That's another famous, mm. uh, one of the most famous stories, where Thomas is whisked away by the Queen of Fairy because he's just so gorgeous and hot, and she mm. wants him for herself. But when he does come back, he comes back with a gift of music. So yeah, there are tales of uh, quite a few, and then there are. You mentioned before we started recording this some sort of slightly more unusual aspects and you were talking about the harp relating to ghosts as well. That's an interesting one, isn't it? I would love to find some more ghost stories with harps in. There is a ghostly harper that haunts um, the cast in Vareri Castle, which belongs to the Dukes of Argyle, and legend says that he was actually murdered by the Duke of Argyle's troops. And ever after, he haunts the castle. He's usually seen by women, and he just is this harpist wearing dark tartan. And his music is also often heard if one of the Dukes of Argyle is shortly to die, so it prophesies is a death and then also it can be heard sometimes when there's a funeral of one of the dukes of argyle so that's quite an interesting example mm. of an actual ghostly harper i wonder if there are other examples where where it's a prophetic instrument actually it's not something that i'd come across but where it foretells isn't that interesting mm. i wouldn't be surprised there must yeah. be some yeah I keep following up in my folklore and I will find some because it was the <laughs> instrument of the Druids, of course, who would yes, use it for, yes. for their um, yeah. prophesizing. Mm. So let's wrap up with, with one more example then uh, of the harp in, in connection to um, mythology and folklore. Uh, uh, and that's another one that's, that's well known to some people, I suppose, that of St. Patrick. Tell us about that. 
St. Patrick when he was out in Ireland, this little fairy harper called Kaskarach came along with his little harp and he must have played the Swantry strain, the one that sends you into deep, deep sleep because St. Patrick nodded off and slept for a long time and when he woke up again all his clergymen that he was with had also fallen asleep and one of them said wow that was really cool super fabulous music wasn't it Sir Patrick <laughs> and Patrick says whoa good indeed it were but for a twang of the fairy spell that infests it <laughs> <laughs> I do like that story it is great isn't it it's I, so I'm... great the twang of the fairy spell <laughs> woo <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going. I'm going to ask you to indulge us um, and and play us out with something um, whilst we're sat here in the open air on your tiny harp because it just feels like the right place to listen to it, doesn't it? Definitely. Uh, so, uh, Elizabeth Jane, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us in your woodland. Uh, I hope that you get back to playing for uh, an audience that is actually sat in front of you uh, <laughs> as soon as you possibly can. But in the meantime, I know there are plenty of people that will enjoy listening to this. Oh, well, thank, thank you. you. Well, you, you, <laughs> Mark, you and Tracy are my audience sitting in front of me right now. So there you go. My wishes come true. <laughs> Thanks to Elizabeth Jane for inviting us to her wonderful woodland Glen to record this episode of the Folklore Podcast. If you're a supporter on Patreon at $5 or above, there is a video version of this interview available for you to watch. If you're interested in Elizabeth Jane's research into fairy harp music, you can hear a radio interview that she did for BBC Radio 4 on her YouTube channel. I'll include a link to this in the show notes for this episode, as well as on the Folklore Podcast website. Thank you, as always, for listening. We continue to keep the podcast completely free of advertising and sponsorship thanks to your generosity. Do please, if you can, consider supporting us on Patreon so that we can continue to keep the project viable and free of annoying adverts. If you prefer, please head to the website where you can make a one-off donation to support us in the Folklore Shop. If you can't help in this way then do please consider leaving us a good review on Apple Podcasts or your provider of choice, and do share our social media and episodes around. We play out today with another piece from Elizabeth Jane. This is Choir de Nymph. See you next time. <laughs>